So I was, I was driving in this morning, and you know, I'm sure this is really kind of dependent on how long you've been around Ethos, how long you've been at the cannery. Some of you have been here like three weeks, and you're like, I can't wait to move because I'm sick of them talking about this. And, uh, <laughs> but some of you have been here for a while, and you're driving in this morning, and maybe you were having some feelings, some memories. I just had all of these memories that were flooding my mind as I was like driving in. And some of these memories like really kind of funny and weird, and some of them are really significant. And uh, you know, one of the things I've thought about over the years is I would love to make a coffee table book that just has all of the kind of funny and weird things that have happened here, kind of in the midst of our time meeting as a church. And the only, the only group that would ever care about that coffee table book would be this group of people. But like, there's been so many funny, kind of like weird things that have happened. This morning, I just had stories and memories just going through my mind. I remember when we first started the church, we were like, a few hundred college students. I think the oldest person in our church was me, and I was 26 years old. And so, uh, uh, sorry, Sydney, she's a cougar. She's a year older than me. <laughs> like, just, man, she just snagged me up, you know. And uh, so my wife was the old lady of the church, and um, uh, JK, JK, but uh, young church. And for the first couple of years, we didn't have, there were no, there were no children within like a mile of this place because the downtown was totally different. Our church was totally different. And I, I remember all of a sudden, like a couple of kids started showing up. We had like two or three kids in the whole church and we're like, all right, we've got a kid's ministry. We've got to do something for our kid's ministry. But we didn't have any space for kid's ministry. We didn't have the space that we have now. And so you may or may not know this, down in the basement of this building are these just disgusting green rooms. Like now they're pretty clean, but they used to be disgusting where bands would party all night long on Saturday nights and then you know, they'd roll out and then we'd clean up and set up. And so I remember we're like, hey, we'll just turn those green rooms into kid space, but we didn't have volunteers or money or hardly anything to do it. So I remember one of the first nights we had kids ministry down there, um, one of the volunteers comes up and they said, hey, something terrible has happened. I'm like, oh no, what's happened? And it's already hard enough to tell parents, like, hey, take your kids down that little stairwell into a dark basement and drop your kids off there and trust us, you know? And so um, they, I said, what happened? And they said, well, um, we found a dead mouse like in the, in the kid's space. And I'm like, oh, that's not too bad. I, uh, that's okay. I mean, it's not the best thing, but... Uh, <laughs> No telling what they could have found. They said, well, a kid found the mouse. I'm like, okay, it's not as good. And this kid has put that mouse in their mouth. <laughs> True story. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, whose kid was it? And then they told me whose kid it was. And they were like part of our team. Like, oh, it's cool. It's cool. It's like, you know, <laughs> just as long as it wasn't a visitor, you know? And so um, I thought about that moment. I'm like, so even if you've had, you know, you show up and you're like, the kid's space isn't as great as our last church. It's way better than it used to be. Um, and so I thought about that memory. Um, I, I thought about this one moment, you know, when we first started, we just had evening services at five and seven o'clock, uh, worship gatherings at five and seven o'clock at night. And I remember one night after our seven o'clock gathering, this young woman comes up and she's just like panicked. She's just like, hey, something terrible's happened. You're seeing a theme here, right? And uh, she's like, something terrible's happened. And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, I think somebody's been murdered in the women's bathroom, which, spoiler alert, I did not see that coming. Like, um, <laughs> I don't know what I thought she was gonna say, uh, you know, but she said, I think someone's been murdered. I'm like, why? She goes, well, there's blood all over the floor and there's a bloody handprint down the wall. So now I'm scared. I'm like, this sounds terrible. 
And so I run into the bathroom with her, made sure nobody else was in there, but ran into the bathroom with her. And sure enough, there's blood on the floor and blood down the stall. And I'm like, this, well, I'm like, this is not what I expected. And so there was a show going on upstairs and I run upstairs and I'm trying to find one of the owners and the band is playing, it's loud. And I, f- I find this, I find one of the owners. I'm like, hey, I think someone's been murdered downstairs. And I didn't know what to lead with other than the truth. Like someone's been murdered, blood's everywhere. And uh, he starts laughing and he goes, no. He goes, last night, uh, Saturday night was zombie prom. And the way we decorated was we put fake blood everywhere. And apparently the cleaning crew forgot to clean up that stall. And so I was simultaneously grateful that no one had been murdered. I was surprised that we had had two worship gatherings with hundreds of people and no one else seemed confused by the blood. (laughs) That that was normal. It's like, oh, this is normal, you know, just weird stuff. Or I remember the Sunday morning we came in and Snoop Dogg had had an after party the night before. Some of you may have remembered this. And... We opened the doors at six in the morning to come in and it was just like a cloud of, you know, weed, just like smoke, just like, and we're like, man, people are gonna be high, like into the first song. Maybe that'll help with worship, but, um, and so we open all these windows and we have fans blowing and all the doors and we're, try, we're trying to clear it out. And, and so all day long, it just smells like we're in a bowl. I mean, it smells terrible in here. And so we have to keep the windows open. And after the nine o'clock worship gathering that morning, uh, my oldest son, Micah, was like three or four at the time. And he and his buddy, Elijah, Aaron's son, were sitting over on that window seal, leaning against the curtain, not knowing that there was no window behind them. And all of a sudden, they lean out the window. And Bobby Bandy is down in the parking lot going, whoa, he's like trying to catch them in case they fall. And his wife is running in to let us know that kids are about to fall out of the window, getting away from the weed smoke. And... And uh, it's like, whoa, just crazy, weird memories, right? I need to give you one more. I could do this all day. It's kind of fun, uh, but we do need to preach at some point. Um, I remember in the early days, there was this guy that would show up, and he was a self-proclaimed male witch, which is interesting, you know, and uh, he, you know, I had never met one before. And um, he showed up, and he had come occasionally, and some weird things would happen, but I'll never forget this one night in particular. He showed up, and he brought with him a portable massage table, like this, and he said, hey, I love the heart of service here. He goes, is it cool if I set up the table in the lobby and give free massages as people leave? And I'm like, you know, I haven't been doing this thing a whole long time, but um, I'm not sure a male witch giving free massages to college girls in the lobby is our vision for church in the city, but, uh, and so he left, you know, put that back in his Toyota Corolla, left, and never came back, not offended by the gospel, but offended by the fact that we wouldn't let him give massages as people came in, and this morning, I was just coming in, and I go, man, it's, it's, it's been such a beautiful journey, it's been such a weird journey, it's been so awesome, and God's been in it. You know, I, I think back to not just the, the funny moments, I think back to all of the significant things that have happened in this space. I got a call this weekend from my dear friend Andre. He saw the email that the cannery was booting us out, that we had to leave, and he said, man, it was nine years ago. He said, I sat in that room. He said, it was nine years ago, I sat in that room. He was here on work for eight weeks from Lisbon, Portugal, worked, worked in the music business. He said, I heard the gospel first time in my whole life in that room. He said, the Spirit of God saved me. He said, I got baptized. He said, I I got sent back out, got trained up, discipled. He started two churches now in Portugal. He's he's mobilized hundreds of churches all across 
the nation of Portugal. He's trained church planters and sent them out all over Europe. And he goes, hey, I know it's just a place. He goes, but that is the place where the trajectory of my life forever changed. I thought about him. I thought about just the, the thousands of people that over the years have had their journey with Jesus renewed, strengthened, started. I thought about the, the, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that have been baptized in this space. I remember the first time we baptized somebody and we had that little bitty, we didn't have the horse trough, we just had that little plastic circle tub and the person that showed up to get baptized was a Vanderbilt basketball player. <laughs> We're like, we don't know how we can fit you in the tub and so, had to bend their knees and dunk them like an egg and we were about drowning them in the process and, and uh, just crazy, you know. I, I think about the number of times we've stood in this room and we've cried tears over things that have hurt your heart so badly. Marriages that went in a direction you didn't see coming. The cancer diagnosis that went in the place you hoped it wouldn't go. I think about tears, I think about celebration, I think about the number of times that we've seen people get married and babies born and just all of the beautiful stuff. People called and commissioned into ministry. You know, over the last 10 or 12 years, we've had the joy of discipling and training and raising up and sending out leaders to start more than 40 churches in 39 cities and 10 different nations from this space. I think about the, the generosity that's flowed through your hands over the years. It's provided mil, millions of meals to people all across the world that's clothed and fed the hungry, that's provided education and medical supplies and Bibles and housing, I think about the, the things that have happened here in the city. We could just tell story after story after story. And what I love is that it's just like God to show up in the midst of all of this beautiful mess, the crazy stories with kids putting dead mice in their mouth and Snoop Dogg smoking us out and male witches and all the weird stuff. And in the midst of it, there's baptisms and births and marriages and grief and, and joy and all of it, guys, for the glory of God. And what I believe from the bottom of my heart is that just like we had no idea what God was gonna do years ago when he brought us here, we have no idea what he's gonna do as he leads us from here. And the best is yet to come. <laughs> I wholeheartedly believe that. You know, one of the things I've been reminded of in this season is that all of us, we process change so differently. You know, some of us process change by denying that it's gonna happen. <laughs> And so you see change coming and you're like, it's not happening, it's not happening, it's not happening. I think about a buddy of mine who his oldest daughter's about to go off to college here in August and he and I were eating lunch last week and I said, hey, how are you feeling? How are you processing that? He says, I'm not. I've decided I'm gonna put my head in the sand. I'm gonna pray that it doesn't happen and then maybe I'll wake up in August and the nightmare is over. And I'm like, well, you know, that's a strategy, but... Here's what I believe is in August, her room is gonna be empty and so is your bank account and so you better prepare for that reality. She's gone, but some of us, that's how we deal with, with change. It's like, I, I see it coming, but I don't know what to do with it. Some of us deny it. 
Some of us feel it, like you feel it. Some of you are very sentimental. Think about my son, Jack, very sentimental. And so when you see change coming, everything leading up to that change is a celebration. This is the last time I'll stand on this piece of wood in the cannery this week. This is the last time I'll do this thing. And everything's a moment. You celebrate it. You prepare for it. Some, some of you are sentimental, and it's great. Some of you are in denial. Uh, some of you are excited for change. There are some of you that, like, you're mad that we didn't move 12 years ago. You're like, why have we been here so long? And I think about some of my dear friends, Mike and Sally, uh, in their mid-60s, they've been married 45 years. On average, they've moved more than one time for every year they've been married. They just love to move. They love change. And some of you are like, man, we're ready for the adventure. Some of you are like my wife, Sydney, who delays how she feels about change. She never processes in the moment. She'll be fine in the moment. Then like three days later, it's just like tears and anger and everything. It's like, what's happening? It's like, oh, you're feeling what happened. And all across the board, we're, we're all different. We're all gonna feel it different. Some of you feel it a lot, some of you won't feel it at all. But here, here's the reality, is that whether you feel it or not, things are going to be different. And I believe that difference is going to be good. Things, in fact, are going to be different, but I do believe that different is going to be good. And I want to just take a few minutes this morning out of Acts chapter 1 and just show you why I think different is going to be good. You know, the disciples had just spent three years in close proximity with Jesus. I can't imagine what that experience would have been like them, for them, the ups and the downs front row seat to the incarnate Son of God in their midst. And then we talked about this last week. They watched him go through the most unthinkable moment that a human being could go through, crucified for the sins of humanity. He lays in a tomb for three days before he's raised by the power of God on that first Easter Sunday. And then he spends the next 40 days with them. And then, and then he is getting ready to return. And this is that moment where he's speaking into their hearts. And he's like, hey, guys, things, things are about to change. You're getting ready to enter into a new chapter of your story with me. And this new chapter, it is going to be different. But this new chapter is also going to be very, very good, I believe. And so I just want to read this Acts chapter 1. There's so much we could talk about out of this. But I want to read through it and then just make four simple observations and give us the, uh, the time to process and pray together around the body and the blood of Christ this morning. Verse one, this is Luke writing. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, he's talking about the gospel of Luke. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to his apostles that he had chosen and after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority to do that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. 
and they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two angels, two men dressed in white stood beside them and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. And so there's this moment where, where Jesus has been with them and he says, hey, things are about to be different, but things are gonna be good. <laughs> things are about to change, but but they're gonna be good. And he says, I just wanna prepare you for this reality. And there's so much we can look at out of these 11 verses, but just, just a couple of things have just been warming my heart all week as I think about what lies in front of us. And the first is this. I have so much joy about the future that we have together because the story that Jesus is writing is still not finished. The story's still not finished. Guys, this is the end of a chapter, but it's not the end of the book. <laughs> Look back at verse one with me, I love this. Luke says, my dear Theophilus, as I wrote in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus had begun to do and teach. Luke was writing this Acts of the Apostles 30 years after the ascension of Jesus and he says, what I'm writing to you about the work of Jesus is not in the past. He goes, because Jesus is still at work. Jesus is still moving. Jesus is still writing a story through his people, the church. The story's not finished. I remember 13 years ago, standing in this room, over in front of that window, a small group of people kind of in a half circle on our first night in this room, and I remember just saying, hey guys, this is the beginning of this expression of Jesus' church, but this is not the beginning of his church. This is a story that began way before us. It's a story that will go beyond us. It didn't start here, it won't finish here. It's a story that's still being written. Several weeks ago, one of my dear friends, who's a part of the Cannery family here, he came up. He said, Dave, I'm excited about the future. He goes, but I'm also sad. He, he said, and I'll never forget this. He said, because I've been a lot of versions of myself in this place. I thought, man, that's a, great, that's a great statement. I've been a lot of versions of myself in this place. We all have. He said, I came in here as a college student that didn't care a whole lot about Jesus, but a pretty girl invited me. It's a great evangelism strategy. Showed up, he goes, God got a hold of my heart. He goes, I became a follower of Jesus. I became a husband, I became a dad. He goes, I'm figuring out how to walk with Jesus. He goes, I've been a lot of virgins of me. It's a story that's still being written. I look out and I go, man, some of us, guys, some of us, when you first wandered into this place, you were a mess. I was a mess. We, and, we're all still messes in progress. But Jesus is still writing the story. And this is what I love, is that Jesus never fails to bring to completion that which he starts. And I go, why, why am I, I, I can simultaneously be sad about this chapter closing and the next one beginning, why? Because I believe the story is still being written. Luke says all that Jesus began to do and teach because Jesus is still at work in our midst. Kind of the second part of Acts 1 through 11 that really just kind of warmed my heart this week is not just that the story is still being written, but secondly, that the spirit of God is still being poured out on people that are placing their allegiance in King Jesus so they can make much of him. I love verse eight. Jesus goes, hey, here's something crazy. You're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon your life so you can be my witnesses. 
Guys, Ethos Church, this has never been about some grand strategy or some way of doing church. This has just been about an ordinary group of people that are going, hey, let's surrender ourselves to King Jesus. Let's beg that the Holy Spirit of God would be poured out upon us and within us, that God might use us to make much of Christ in the city and to the nations and into our nation. Like, God, use us that way. And I go, I'm excited about what's ahead, not just because Jesus is still writing the story, but because I believe that Jesus is still pouring out his Holy Spirit on people like you and I. And wherever the desire of our hearts is to make much of Christ, the Spirit of God wants to show up and help us to do that. Like if the goal of your life is to make much of yourself, to build your name, your platform, your bank account, your comfort, and then die in comfort, you don't need the Holy Spirit to help you do that. But if the goal of your life is that God might use your short time on earth to make much of Jesus Christ, the risen, living, returning Son of God, then the Holy Spirit of God wants to help you do that. And so, I mean, I pray as we come into this next season, we will see a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, his gifts, his power, his mission, his work, so that Christ be lifted up high in the city. Warms my heart, the story's still being written, the spirit of God is still being poured out. Number three, and the mission of Jesus is still rapidly advancing. I love this, verse eight, look back at it. He says, you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These guys and gals that had never traveled more than 40 miles from the place where they were born, had never stepped foot on an airplane, had never heard of the internet, had never, none of these things had been invented. Jesus looks at him and he goes, hey, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're gonna bear witness to me right here, right there, and everywhere. And this is what struck me this week. I don't know if you've noticed this in the scriptures, but have you ever noticed that God has always been in the business of moving his people from one place to another in order to bring his glory from one place to another? You just read through the scriptures and God is moving his people around. Because a church has never been about a place. It's a people filled by the spirit living on mission with Jesus. And there are times when God goes, hey, if I keep you there too long, you're gonna become comfortable, so it's time to move again. And I don't know how to, I've said this so many times over the last few, uh, three or four months, The moment we found out this place had sold, I was a little sad, but in my spirit I went, this is from God. I do believe this is from God. I don't believe this is just the tragedy of living in a city where developers are taking everything over. I believe this is from God. And I believe he is moving us for some of you to re-engage you in a mission that you were made for. And for some of us to give us brand new eyes to see things that we hadn't seen if we'd stay in the same comfortable place. And it warms my heart that we're not moving because we just wanted a new building. or we, It's like, no, we're moving because we had no choice. And we go, hey, Lord, this is your hand in all of this. We've got great comfort in that. We've got a great father. He would never lead us here to leave us here. It's not who he is. It's not his character. And so my my heart is warmed because the story is unfolding. The spirit is still available. The mission is still advancing, last but not least. And Jesus Christ is still returning. Verse 11, verse 10 and 11, I love it. The angels ask this question that almost feels insulting. 
Jesus had just spent three years with the disciples. They'd gone through all of this amazing stuff with him and then Jesus literally ascends. He lifts, he levitates straight up into heaven. And the disciples, we don't know how long they're standing there, but they're standing there, they're looking up into the sky. And these angels show up and they go, hey, why are you, why are you standing here looking intently into the sky? And it's like, well, I thought that was pretty obvious. <laughs> Jesus, the son of God, who we've just given our lives to, has just shot up into the air. And we're not sure if he meant he's coming right back or like, we don't, he didn't give us a timetable. So we're just going to chill here for just a minute. And I, I love the angels. The, the angels are like, hey, hey guys, there's work to be done until he returns. There's work to be done. And we want you to engage that work until he returns. He's really coming back. <laughs> I pray to God that I get to be standing on the earth alive and well with you when he comes back. But if not, my commitment to you and to us is that whether it's here, Nashville, or the ends of the earth, I want to use every last breath helping my friends, neighbors, coworkers, the people around me come to know the greatness of Jesus until they see him face to face as well. It's a great mission. It's a great moment. You know, last night, Sydney and I were eating dinner with some of our dear friends, and as we're eating dinner out on the porch, beautiful evening, I feel this tap on my shoulder. I turn around, and it's some of our dear friends, Maddie and her soon-to-be husband. A lot of you all know Maddie. And uh, they're getting married in two weeks, and we're like, what's up? And we're, we're talking, and of course, all the conversations about the wedding, they're just glowing. They're so excited, and talking about everything that's about to happen. And when they left the table, I thought, okay, Lord, that's what I want our ch church's face to look like as we wait for you to come back. Like an eager, hungry bride waiting for her, her groom to come. I go, I go what, what does our church look like as we move to a new venue, guys? Whatever it looks like, I hope we look like a bride that has the glow of anticipation on her face for her returning king. That's what I long for. And I couldn't care less how cool the venue is or how much it does or does not feel like the cannery or whether you like the kids' space better or not or blah, 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 blah. If we are a group of people that do not burn with a hunger and a longing for the presence of Jesus, we are just playing games. <laughs> and so as, this, as we step into this next season, I'm going, okay, Jesus, would you yourself keep writing this story, would you yourself pour out your Holy Spirit upon Ethos Church? Would you yourself recommit our hearts to the mission in this city and far beyond? And would you stir up a holy hunger in us for the return of the King? And God, would you do that in the only way that you can do that? And so guys, I pray that we have memories today, that you take a bunch of pictures in the photo booth and tell your stories on Instagram and that you come back tonight and that we celebrate. But may we do none of this with this sense that the best is behind us. Because the story's still being written and God's still in all of it. And so here's how we're gonna end our time together this morning. We're gonna do this like we do every single week. We have communion, it's on the... The bar, it's on the table. We're gonna give you a little more space than normal this morning to just do two things. Number one, to just verbally, out loud with the people that are around you to just give thanks to Jesus for the way that you've experienced his goodness in this space. 
And then number two, to pray for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our church family. So I'm gonna ask all of you during our time of communion to do those two things, to give thanks to Jesus for what he's done in you personally and us communally, and to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That'll be on the screen when you get to communion if you forget that. And then we're gonna end with just a couple of songs of worship. Uh, What I would encourage you, if you're sitting here this morning and you go, man, I want to be baptized tonight. I've got questions about that. I want to take a step of faith. Before you even think about going to the communion table, grab that baptism card, come find me or some people at the respond banner. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to answer any questions that you have. So let's stand together. Let me pray over us. And one last time, let's receive communion together in this, uh, this wonderful place. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and for what you have done and for what you are doing. And Lord, we stand in agreement with your scriptures and with thousands of years of Christian history as we testify that you are still writing the story, that you are still giving the spirit, that you are still leading us in a mission and that you indeed will come again. And so Lord, this morning as we receive the bread, as we receive the cup, may we be filled fresh with an encounter of your love and your grace. May we be reminded of all the ways that you have met us and led us and the ways that you will meet us and lead us into the future. Lord, would you draw people to yourself this morning? In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.